0: We're starting our series from now on and it's our January series and it comes from just the idea that at some point in life we take a stand and we say things are changing and from now on things will be different. Things are going to look different. I'm going to treat them differently. There's going to be a difference in my life. There's going to be a difference in the world in which I live from now on. It's putting, it's putting a marker in the ground and saying, this is the line. And from this line forward, things are going to change. It's going to be different. And it's the same thing with God. God moves throughout history and he works with his people in different ways and he moves in people's lives in different ways and he transitions us from season to season and at some point he says, hey, this is how it was, but from now on, this is how it will be. And as we launch this series, we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number one, and and we are talking about God moving the church forward. He's going to do something different from now on. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus. Now, who this this person is writing in the first person. I did this. I did that. And, And who is it that is talking right now? It is Luke, the physician. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and now he is writing the book of Acts. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Luke is continuing the story. He's continuing the project, if you will. He said, in in my first book, Theophilus, I told you what Jesus began to do and to teach. But this is a to-be-continued moment. And this is part two of what God is doing in his people. This is part two. This is, this is the, the movement forward from that place. Book of Acts is written by Luke. It's a letter that becomes 28 chapters for us. When you read the Bible, we, we talk about chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, verse one, two, three. You know, when these guys were writing, they didn't write in chapters and verses. That was put later for us to be able to quickly uh, reference different portions and parts of the scripture. But at the beginning, it was just written as a letter. It was just written as a book. It it was them uh, being moved by the Holy Spirit to tell us the story of what God was doing. And so it ends up being 28 chapters covering about 30 years of history of what God is doing through his people. God is empowered. Through the book of Acts, God empowers his people. Through the book of Acts, God creates and establishes a church in Jerusalem. Then in that church, he develops leaders and he de- develops people to, uh, he, he, he elevates people like, like Peter. And, and he elevates people like James. And then from there, the, the gospel begins to move out into the rest of the world as he expands the church and people like Paul become part of this, this new thing called the way. He begins to, he's a, becomes a Christ follower and suddenly it goes from a small group of people uh, that are surrounding specifically this one man called Jesus and it begins to become a worldwide movement still following the one called Jesus the Christ. It's interesting to realize that as we look at the book of Acts, uh, of this 30 years of history, and, and all of this incredible stuff that God does through the Holy Spirit, it is all accomplished after the story should have ended. It seems like the story should have been done, finished, complete. When we look at our own history, There are certain moments when it seems like things have closed, chapters have closed, books have closed. How how many remember 9-11? You don't even have to say the the year, we just remember 9-11. And when 9-11 occurred, it changed everything. When 9-11 happened, it was like that was then, but from now on, this is how things have changed. This is how things are going to be different. I remember we were in California, we were in uh, Sacramento, California, we had sold our home, we had loaded up a Penske truck, and we were ready to move to Chicago to plant our very first church that we were going to be the senior pastors of. That morning, my phone rang early, it was my mother-in-law from Massachusetts, and when I first looked at my phone, I thought, she doesn't remember the time difference again. (laughs) But when I answered the phone, she did remember the time difference. It was simply that something big was happening. She said, turn on the radio. Look at the news on your phone. Whatever you need to do, figure it out. Find, discover what's going on. And so we, we awoke to the news that the trade, World Trade Center towers had fallen and, and all that was transpiring. Those of us that lived through that, we remember the before and the after. We, we know how before you could, you could show up 25 minutes before your flight and have a chance to get on. Now two hours before your flight is the rule. This is, things changed. That was one way. Another thing that happened is through that process, our our nation pulled together. Our nation became more and more unified. We drove from Sacramento to Chicago. The first night I thought we'll stop around eight o'clock. No, we didn't because there were no planes flying. So everybody was driving. And so we didn't stop till much later than that. So we started we started uh, stopping far earlier in the day in order to just find a hotel room where we wanted to stop and 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 but people were kind and courteous and, and people were loving to one another and trying to find ways to, to help one another. And did that last forever? No. But but it was a unique moment in our history that we'll all remember. I believe that the COVID pandemic is the 9-11 of our generation for this present generation. The the kids that are coming up, they'll remember this time. I'm afraid that they will not remember our nation coming together, but they'll remember a nation being pulled apart by this particular process. But we do recognize that things have shifted, that the likelihood, Pastor Benton said it very well on Christmas Eve during the services, that the idea that things will go back to what they were is very limited, probably not going to happen that way. From now on, things will be different. Things will be different. And people ask, uh, will everything ever return back to normal? In my business, will it return back to normal? in my family will return back to normal in in society in our schools even in the church will things ever get back to how they used to be and I want us to recognize where the disciples are standing as the book of acts begins to unfold the disciples are standing in a place that they they could ask the very same questions they've walked with Jesus for three years For three and a half years, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen Jesus change things in their world profoundly and in the world around him. Suddenly, this unknown carpenter from Nazareth is is a well-known person, and he's doing amazing things. In fact, not only has he done amazing things, but he has declared himself to be the Son of God, and he's backed it up by signs and by wonders. He's healed people, delivered people, raised people from the dead. He's discipled the 12, and then he's gone, they've gone out from there. Amazing things, but like all seasons, that season seemed to end. The enemies of Jesus finally caught up with him. They finally got somebody to, to condemn him. And then they took him to a cross and nailed him there. And then he died. The story was over. What Jesus had done, finished. But to their amazement, their astonishment, in three days after his crucifixion, he rose again. They didn't really believe that was going to happen. We can see by their, their response to the crucifixion, they were, in very, they were very doubtful of the resurrection. Even if they understood what he had said at all, they were uncertain at best and so here he is having risen again and surely this is when everything that they ever thought was going to be was going to become surely they asked him the question in Acts chapter one they asked him the question at the end of Luke you 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 find them asking the question will you restore the kingdom of of Israel to its former glory they want to know will our dreams come to pass now will our vision become the reality now We're excited about this. And so it seems like everything's going on. He's giving an encore performance. But one day, he leads them to a place called Bethany. It's a little town just outside of Jerusalem. He leads them there, and the Bible says it this way. Then Jesus led them to Bethany. And lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. Oh, we love the blessing of the Lord. Amen. If Jesus is going to bless you, are you going to accept his blessing? Amen. Okay, that's good. I'm glad we have smart people in this congregation. We're going to accept the blessing of the Lord. But while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. It's like he's like saying, good night, Toledo. (laughs) He's gone. Now, when he left them the first time, that was understandable. People grabbed him. They beat him. They crowned him with thorns. And then they nailed him to a cross. It seemed like Jesus didn't have really a choice in that situation. It seemed like it was out of his control. We know. We know that he gave himself to the cross. We know that nobody could force him to give his life. He gave his life willingly. But for those watching, for those living through this with him, it seemed like Jesus was taken and things were done that he would have never chosen to be done. And so that's their fault. But now... Now Jesus, returning from the grave, totally miraculous, seems like everything's amazing and everything can happen now, but now he has, by choice, ascended from their presence into the clouds. Now, we say he ascended into heaven. We know that he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father, but what they experienced was, The guy that we thought left us but then came back to us has now left us again, the first time not by choice, this time by choice, and surely that's the end of the story. The final chapter, what else can possibly be done here? And with any other person, it would have been the final chapter. But this was Jesus. And can I say it this way to you, and if you're a note-taker, write this down. God does not retreat. God never backs up and says, hey, let me figure this out. Let me, what did I get wrong there? And and, and let's approach it from a different direction. God does not retreat. Whatever you're going through in your family right now, God in your life, he is not retreating. In our society, God has not retreated. In the world around us, God has not retreated. He's not backed up and, and, and walked away from it and said, let me get a better perspective. He's God. He knows the end from the beginning. And so God does not retreat in our community, our nation, in this world, or in this church. And here's our big idea today. A story being written by the king always moves forward. The story in your life. The story in my life. The story in our church, the story in this community, the story in this world. And if it's being written by the king, then it always moves forward. But here's a fun fact for you. God is the only author and he writes every story. Every story is being written by the king. Here's what the Bible tells us in Colossians. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So God is invisible. But when you see God in physical form, you're seeing Christ Jesus. This is what we call, uh, in the Old Testament, would be called the theophany. Abraham saw him and others. What we would call a theophany. In the New Testament, we see Christ made visible, uh, God made visible through the Son of God, Christ Jesus. He is the visible image of the invisible God. But then it goes further in explanation. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. In our last series, we, we said one of the steps in our last series was that God is, is, uh, he is supreme in all, over all things at all times. He, he has total supremacy. So, before anything was created, he is supreme over all creation. Verse 17 now, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So how do you know that God has never lost control? You know it because you and I are sitting here right now. If he holds all creation together, Then that means from the fundamental makeup and and construction of the earth itself to everything within all of the universe to your physical being and my physical being, all of it, he holds together. So if he stops holding it together, if he goes, oh, no, 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 and he loses control over this whole thing, we'll know it. Or maybe we won't know it, we will just disappear. It all disappears. So the story that God is writing in your life, the story that God is writing in this church, the story that God is writing in the world, is the only story possible. That's a big thought, but it's true. And so that gives us a a sense of pause. Whenever God began writing, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whenever God began to tell the story of man, God created man, formed man out of the dust of the earth and blew life into him and man became a living soul. That God created woman from man and then he placed him in the garden of Eden and then there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, did not eat of the tree of life. Mankind is removed from the garden. God is writing a story. He already knew this was going to happen. He already understood. That's why the Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to make the choice that they did. He understood it. Did he want them to do that? Was he saying, hey, I really hope that they do not obey the commandment that I've given them? No. Any more than he's saying that about you and I. But... He did understand that that he did know that that was going to happen. So he makes a plan from the very beginning and he, he creates coats of skin from Adam and Eve. And he does it from an animal that's there. Blood was shed from day one, from the first sin until now, blood had to be shed. And you can trace that through the entire story of Scripture. And until Jesus Christ, where the blood of the spotless lamb was shed for you and I, hung there on a cross and he died a death, he did not die deserve for you and for me the blood traces all the way from the beginning all the way until today as the blood of Christ covers your life and covers my life can we say amen to that so that's what God has done for us but we we live in our present circumstance and sometimes it's hard to see how tomorrow can be better than yesterday it's hard to see how there's a future in place for us 2021 was difficult by, by every standard, even if you did well in some areas of life, 2021 was still a tough year for all of us. A lot of, a lot of differences, a lot of, a lot of struggles, a lot of arguments, a lot of, uh, a lot of crazy going on, a lot, of, a lot of difficulty just across the board in the entire reality of our world. Some people may be saying, well, how can 2022 be a good year for my life? Maybe you're saying, well, my my marriage seems like it might be over, or so how does the future seem strong there? Or the kids aren't talking to me, so how how's that gonna make for a good future? Or my career seems to be struggling in one way or another, so how is that okay? The world is crazy. So how do we move forward from here? It's a good question. It's a good question, but I have two thoughts for us today. And thought number one is this that Jesus promised a future. Jesus promised a future. God has promised you a future. He's promised me a future. Before he left them, Jesus reminded the disciples. He said, go, uh, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. This is Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. He's talking about the one time that he sat with them and was eating with them. And he said, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem. He said, I I want you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be gone. But when I leave, go to Jerusalem. Don't stand here stuck in this moment. Go to Jerusalem because it's a promise from the Father. The Father's made a promise to you and he always keeps his promises. Now, I've failed to keep my promise at times. I don't like to. I work hard not to, but I do. In fact, whenever I was preparing for this lesson, I I was trying to think of a a promise that I had not kept. And like I said, I work hard to keep my word. So so I couldn't think of anything right offhand. And so I text my wife and my two sons and said, can you all remember a promise that I have failed to keep? And I didn't hear anything initially from anybody. But I had inadvertently added Meredith, who is Talon's fiancé, to the text. I didn't know I did, but my phone binged and I thought, oh, one of them have, have come up with a, a promise I didn't keep over the 20-plus you know, years that I've been their father or 25, 24-plus years that I've been her husband. And, and I looked at the text and it's from Meredith. And she said, you do pretty good at keeping your promises but two years ago, you told me that you were going to pay me back if I may, for, the, for the resources it took to make friendship bracelets for you for an illustration and a sermon. And you never paid me back. <laughs> and she's right. I did say I would. And I didn't. I started calculating, how much food has she eaten in my house? How many times have I taken her out? How many times? But that's not what I said. I didn't say, in exchange for all that I've done for you, here's what I'll do. No, I said, I'll pay you back for that thing. And I did not keep my word. So I learned two things in that one question. I learned, number one, I don't always keep my promises. And number two, Meredith holds grudges. (laughs) Two answers, one question. That's how I like to roll. I don't always keep my promise, but God always does. And so if he said, go to Jerusalem, there's a promise waiting for you there, then that meant that the future was not done. The story was not over. That there was a next somewhere along the line for them. Maybe not one that they understood or, or completely comprehended or could wrap their heads and hearts around in that moment. But the, 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 the story, God was not done with them. He was not done with them. God promised his people a future, and he always keeps his promises. One of the verses in scripture that you see on walls, and, and uh, people talk about it quite often, reference it quite often, Jeremiah 29, 11. Many of you could probably quote it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So he's telling the people of Israel as a whole, the family of God as a whole, he's saying, "Hey." I'm gonna protect you. You do have a future. Your future has is, is hopeful in nature. But one of the things that you and I need to recognize regarding this scripture is that when this was given, it was not completed two days later. It took 70 years for this promise to come to pass. 70 years, many of the people that that heard that promise, wrote that promise down, journaled on that promise, claimed that promise, many of them died before they ever saw it come to pass. It did not come to pass in their lifetime, but it came to pass absolutely because the promise was made to the people of God, to the children of Israel. God did not say, so Bill, this is what I'm saying about you. So Sue, this is what I'm saying about you. So Ed, this is what I'm saying about you. Or Randy, this is what I'm saying. No, it wasn't to the individual person living in Israel. It was to the people of Israel as a whole. They were in captivity. They were slaves to another nation. They had been there for generations. They had no hope of becoming their own nation again. And God says to them, this is what I'm going to do in this nation. One of the mistakes that's made and one of the reasons this this, uh, verse is so misapplied, so often misapplied, is because we try to individualize a promise of God made to the people of God to our personal life and immediate situation. We say, oh, I'm in a tough spot right now. So I'm, the Lord said, I know the plans that I have for you. there for a future and for hope. And so we say, in the next 15 minutes, God's got to get me out of this because that's his promise. But you can't microwave a promise of God. That's not how it works. And sometimes the promise is made to the people of God. Well, who are the people of God today? You and I. Those who have made Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior. And while the verse has often been misapplied, it does not mean that we should not properly apply it just because some misapply it. Does that make sense? So how do we properly apply it? We say for the people of God, that's you and that's me in this day, then the purpose that God has for us has not stopped. The, the future that God has planned for, her, for us has not ended. The goal he has for his people from the beginning, even from Adam until today, is that the people of God will always make a good difference, a positive difference in the world that they're in. And that is for you and that is for me. So as long as you and I are part of the family of God, then we are going to make a positive difference in this world. No, we cannot individually individualize the every promise of God but if we are part of the corporate group that God has made a promise to that is something that we can hold on to Amen. amen and if you're a child of God you can hold on to that today so as individuals we accept Christ as Savior we are part of his body of his family and so his promise of a future and a hope rings true for you and for me Praise the Lord. But even if the end of our days come to pass before that promise is fulfilled, it doesn't mean the promise has failed. And the promise of God remains strong because what the New Testament tells us is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so if you end the final days of your life on this earth and you say, you know what? I didn't see everything I thought I was going to see. If you're in Christ, when you, take, when you exhale, the, exhale the last breath of temporal air that you have in your lungs, and your next breath inhales the presence of God, you're not going to be worried about anything you missed on this earth. So the promise of God remains hopeful in time and hopeful in eternity. And that brings us to thought number two, that even in the temporal reality of life, God continues writing where all others would end. The question being asked through COVID has been, will the church be the same? Will my family be the same? Will the world be the same as it was before? And the answer to that is no. But you and I do not have to be afraid of what 2020 offers in fact, we can step into 2020 with hope, with, with, with faith, with excitement, with joy, saying, hey, I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this world, in my life, in 2022. When God is the author of your story, the future is always better or greater than the past. It's always greater. Now, now think about the disciples again. They might challenge that statement. They might say, well, that's a really nice thing to say, Micah. But remember, we've just been walking with Jesus. How do you top that? How is the future better than the past? My grandfather, born in 1925, he used to say to me before he passed. He'd say, "I, I never thought." I remember when we saw 2020 come to, uh, you know, go from 1999 to 2020. He said, I, "I never would have thought that I would have ever seen a year that began with the number two. Just I, I would have never thought I would have lived to see that." And he used to talk about how things were so much better in the days past. How how you know people were nicer. There were more Christians. People had more faith. People didn't treat each other the bad ways that they treat each other now. He used to talk about that kind of stuff and maybe maybe you kind of relate to that a little bit. You remember the days of your youth and you think it was different back then. And I'm just going to put out here for your consideration, no it wasn't. From the day of Cain and Abel, which is a little before any of our birthdays. There was murder in the earth. There's always been. Since the fall of man, there's been murder, there's been lust, there's been cheating, there's been stealing, there's been lying, there's been all the stuff that exists right now, it existed then. The only difference is now we're hearing about what all's going on in Bangladesh right here in Sylvania. It's being perpetrated further and it's becoming more and more normalized. Versus something that society condemns as a whole. But it really wasn't that much better back then. We look at the past through rose-colored glasses. And we look at the future with fear and uncertainty. We look at the past with rose-colored glasses because that's what we've already been through. That's what we've already survived. That's what we already understand. That's what we already can wrap our heads and our hearts around. Those are the things that we've... That, so we look back on those days. I think about my kids right now. My kids growing up, Talon and Meredith is going to get married in a couple months. They're starting to look at what it means to have a house together and, and, and buy groceries for themselves. And, and, and send bills for what I owe them. And, you know, all of these... All of these different things that they are, they're, they're starting to understand and, and comprehend. And, and suddenly they start, they, they have a new appreciation for what a dollar means. And I, and, and I look at them and say, good night, Where, have you been living under a rock? And yes, they have. They've been living under the rock of their parents' protection and covering. But now they're looking at moving out from under that rock. And facing some of the realities that you and I have had to face. It, it's gonna, here's the thing. You and I went through the same thing. We had to learn a different rhythm. We had to learn a different way of life. We had to learn and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but when we were kids, we just didn't know really what was going on. And when we said, why can't we just get a burger? We didn't understand why Ramsey would say no. Dave Ramsey, financial peace. Okay, moving on. Um, but now we do. Now we understand why maybe we make different choices in life. And sometimes we can get stuck when the past seems more attractive than the future. And the disciples might say, well, Jesus was here, so how, is that? how can anything be better than that? You might say, well, this is how it was back in 20 years ago, 30 years ago, so I, I don't see how the future could be better than that. And could I just remind you? Can I remind you of Abraham who was told by God that he would have a child while he was childless? And then he got so old that there was no possibility of him having a child. Oh, he tried to make it happen and in fact did have a child, but it was the wrong child with the wrong woman. And it caused him no end of grief. And yet, at the end of his life, nearing 100, God is still writing a story. Others would have already closed the book, but God said, and Sarah is going to have a child in a year. God continued to write where everyone else would have closed the book. Can, can I remind you about Israel? Israel, who is in the nation of Egypt as slaves. Israel, who used to be a, their own powerful people, but now they are serving. And not only are they serving other, another nation, but they've been doing so for generations 400 years is is there any possible way that they could be their own nation again in in most stories the chapter is over the book is closed but God is writing and he says and you will come out of Egypt not only will you come out of Egypt but you will plunder them and you'll become a wealthy nation again as you leave captivity God continued to write the story think about Jesus 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 doing great things, then dying by the hands of earthly rulers. But God kept writing. He said the earthly rulers think that they have won the war now because they've destroyed this one called Jesus, my son. But what they don't know is that I'm writing the story. And in the story I'm writing, the very thing that they think puts everything in their favor actually seals their demise for all eternity. The very thing that the rulers of the world thought, this is going to solve our problem. Satan himself thought, I finally won. After all these years, I finally won. Jesus said, no. God said, no, I'm, I'm still writing the story. And guess what, Satan? You still lose. Not only do you lose, but my people win because they're empowered by me. I don't know what the story is that God's writing in your life. I don't know what 2021 looked like in every single life and, and where the chapter seems to be. I don't know exactly where you're at in the narrative of your story right now. But can I tell you, God is not stopped, has not stopped writing your story. You're still here. Can I tell you that where, whatever you feel like you're, you're, you're looking at, where, however, however much loss you feel or however much pain you felt, the story is not over. And when God is writing the story, the future is always better than the past. How how could the disciples agree with that? What, What would I say to them if they were to ask me, how could it be better if Jesus was here and now he's not? Well, here's the reality of Jesus. While Jesus was on the earth, Jesus himself walked from here to there. Jesus did amazing signs and wonders empowered by the Spirit of God jesus did stuff that no one else could do as the father gave him power and authority on this earth it was amazing and he did amazing things but recognize that the he there is singular he did amazing things when jesus was taken up and we're gonna we're gonna read this story as we go through the book of acts here but when jesus was taken up 50 days later The Holy Spirit descended upon the people of God in a way like never before. And he empowered people. And when the church begins to make a difference in the world, it's not Jesus walking from place to place singularly. It's they, plural, going from place to place. And suddenly the Spirit of God is being manifest in Asia and it's being uh, manifest in the Middle East and it's being manifest in this city and that city and the other city. All at the same time as the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, are living out the story that the Father is writing in their lives. Maybe for the disciples, maybe they have a good argument that they could say, it wasn't better for me. It wasn't better for me that Jesus left. But can I tell you that it was better for you? And the promises of God are not all individual promises. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. That Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey, I promise I will never leave you. That means I physically will be here. You will comprehend it. You will understand it. You will, and so I will never walk away. I will never leave you nor forsake you physically. Because while it would have been great for them, it would have been horrible for you and I. It took a Savior that went to a cross, went to a tomb, rose again, then ascended into heaven. It took that for you and I to be empowered by the Holy Spirit today. The promise of God for his people remains strong, sure, and certain. And when you and I are part of his people, it becomes strong, sure, and certain in your life and in mine. Praise the name of the Lord. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. And we often think that that means that God says, move your right foot, move your left foot, move your right foot, Move your left foot. But what that actually means in the original language is that he, he directs the step and he establishes the step. So he directs it in that this is the path that I've called you to go on. And when you put your foot somewhere where you should slip and fall, he holds your foot there and establishes your foot in a firm place. And even when you fail. See, the... The language that the the hebrew language is very different than our language and a single word can have a, a plethora of depth a, a huge amount of depth to it and and color and and, and feeling and emotion and everything else and so even it, the, this word this singular word would, would indicate even when you fail and fall that the failure is not final that there is restoration in the ordering and the establishing of the path of the good man, or as some translations say, the righteous man. Man is mankind, not man gendered. So if you're walking in the plan of God, if you're, if you're part of the body of Christ, your story's not over. You have a future. You have a hope. God has plans for you, and it is good. And so here's our action step today. Let God move your story forward. Don't get so caught up in the past of what used to be and what could have been and, and how that may have worked that you look at 2022 with fear and trepidation but look at it with hope and excitement knowing that God is moving my story forward. I don't know what that looks like in your specific situation. I, I can't say what it is for your business or your relationship or your community or your kid or, or whatever it is that's going on in your world but I can say as long as the Father's writing it's gonna move forward. And as long as you let him direct your step, it's gonna be for your good, for my good, but at the end of the day, for the people of God, for the good of the people of God, as the plan and story of God continues to move forward, you and I get to be part of it. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me right now and prayer partners, would you come forward? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people. As we launch into this new year, I pray your strength, your direction, your guidance. I pray you do in our hearts and our minds what we cannot do in ourselves, that we can can look at the future with hope and excitement. That we can know that not only are you directing our step, but you're establishing it. That you are allowing us to be all that you've called us to be. Can we do it on our own? No. Humanity is making a mess of this world. But your plan, your purpose, your story has not ended. And you have called your people. You've promised us a hope. You've empowered us to make a positive difference in the world. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We give you thanks and praise for it. And in 2022, we believe that we're going to see your hand work through us. We believe that we're going to see your hand work in us. We believe that you are going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. We're believing for good things, for miracles. From this moment forward, from this moment on, from now on, you are moving in our lives in ways that we've never known before. Maybe it's all changed, but it's okay because you're still writing the story in Jesus' name. And let everybody say, Amen.